from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur, greenentrepreneur.com. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that is on everybody's mind in the industry right now. It's the hot topic of the moment, but rightly so. It is an important issue, and we're going to talk about Delta 8 THC. And to bring us up to speed and give us a download on what this mysterious cannabinoid is and what we need to know about it, I have a very wonderful guest. Cody Peterson is in the house. Cody Peterson is a practicing pharmacist and a science advisor to Conigma. He is also currently pursuing his MS in medical cannabis science and therapeutics from the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. He knows his stuff. Cody, welcome to the podcast. John, I want to thank you for having me today. It was a great introduction. As you said, my name is Cody Peterson. I'm a cannabis pharmacist. That's a new title. I've always been pediatric clinical pharmacist but I'm sort of trying to adopt the new. So yeah, I want to talk about the molecule that's in everyone's mouth, Delta-8 THC. What is it? Is it legal? What's Should the it difference? be legal? Yeah, exactly. Should it be legal? And how's it made? And should I be inhaling it? All of the above, I'm going to try to come at it from a pragmatist point of view. The fact of the matter is this product is out there. People are consuming it. And I think people need to be smart and formed and make, make their own adult decisions. That's great. Well, let's start from the beginning here. So for those who might not understand, and including me, I'm, I'm, I'm just a novice at all this stuff. So what is Delta-8 THC? It's really similar to Delta-9 THC. Is okay. right. <laughs> but that's <laughs> that what it is. that makes sense, right? Right. Because so the THC that we all know and love and the one that we talk about is the classic cannabinoid made by the cannabis plant. It's notorious for the intoxicating effect I mean, many of the medicinal effects of cannabis. THC is what we call it. But technically, its name is bigger than that. It's Delta 9 THC. It's actually bigger than that, but we're going to leave the organic chemistry out of today's lesson. So Delta 9 THC is actually the name of THC as we know it. The thing is, is these are really complex molecules. They're not super small, so we can make minor changes to them and still have a general structure to that molecule. So delta-8 is the movement of one double bond, I'm going to say to the left. That's not a very good descriptor in organic chemistry. But we move one place where there's a double bond, a little bit tighter of a bond between two carbons by one little molecule space. And we can show a picture to the, to the folks watching or listening right now. But it is an, it's what's called an isomer. So an isomer has the exact same chemical formula, carbon 21, hydrogen 18, oxygen 2. It's very close to that and as far as THC. But the movement of the double bond is a slight change in configuration of those same atoms in the molecule. And that movement changes the shape just a little. And that change in shape just a little can lead to change in effects. And that's what people report when using Delta THC. So this is a naturally occurring molecule, right? This, or is this something that has been made in the lab of the pharmacists and the, and the strain growers? Well, no pharmacist is making THC because at this time, the federal government feels that that's illegal. So no pharmacist is playing or very few are playing in this space. 
That's a complicated question and one that's being answered incorrectly by a lot of people in the space or maybe people are just misinformed. So Delta-8 THC does occur naturally, but it is not produced by the plant. So that's kind of a a misnomer. So Delta-8 THC can happen from the process known as isomerization. It doesn't matter. We're going to say degradation of Delta-9. So the plant only makes THC, and it does so with a protein the plant produces called THC synthase. It synthesizes THC inside of the plant. So it only produces this one type of THC. It's it's, uh, trans-Delta-9 THC. The problem is, is when we're making Delta-8, because it's not made in abundance in the plant, we're actually trying to like heat and manipulate Delta-9 THC and convert it into Delta-8. And in the process, we might make more than than what we're bargaining for. So Delta-8 occurs in very minute amounts in the plant and it can be converted, but there's no such thing as a high Delta-8 strain. Nature doesn't play that game. Nature only plays Delta-9 and humans convert it. But in truth, that's not really the way most Delta-8 is getting in. Okay, so we're going to get into that. But let's first understand. So the reason humans would want to create Delta-8 uh, in, in the lab is because Delta-9, as you mentioned, is federally illegal. But there's a little loophole here where you create this thing called Delta-8, which is not federally illegal, at least not yet. But how is Delta-8 different than Delta-9? In, not in terms of its effect. We know about the kind of from a, from a molecular basis, but in terms of its effect on people. Yeah. So that small shift in, in molecular formulation is what the, the reason for the effects, right? That's the, the pharmacologic change. So the effects are basically based on anecdote. There's very little science supporting the difference between these two molecules in effect. Let's first, definitely, I want to talk about effects. It, just right off the bat, People report less intoxicating. That just they say there's a bunch of numbers being thrown around about how much less, because again, it's not based on science, it's based on experience. So people say between 50 and 70% less intense of a high. Now, that's a pretty ambiguous number, I'll point out. But no one says zero, right? And some some people on the internet will say non-intoxicating. That is a lie. We know that Delta-8 has some action at the CB1 and CB2 receptors, which automatically means that it's going to have some intoxicating, it's going to have some psychological influence, because we know the CB1 receptor is one of the most abundant receptors in your entire brain, and it's the reason that Delta-9 makes you high. So effects orally are sometimes reported a little differently. People who take Delta-8 orally are tending to report similar euphoric or similar experience to taking Delta-9. So again, there's some random percent. People say 80 or 90 percent. This is just the feel of it, right? People who are using it are ascribing a feeling. Um, And, you know, for what it's worth, the people who are using it often use Delta-9 for a long time. And so they have a pretty good idea of what what cannabis feels like. So as a pharmacist, what is your take on this new phenomenon of Delta-8, do you like it? Because what's happening now is people are are getting around the Delta-9 illegality and they're creating a lot of hemp-based products that have Delta-8 in them and I guess cannabis, marijuana plant-based products. But they're saying, because they're saying that it has Delta-8, they're able to, you know, sell it 
across state lines. They're able to sell it in states where cannabis is illegal. And so what is your take? I mean, is this is this a good thing that's happening or is this uh, not something that we should need to monitor a bit? All right. What's my take? Well, let's talk about where Delta 8 came from. Right. So like, why is this on the why is this on the docket? Why is it? OK, if you go back into the 1970s and 80s, Mishulam was working with Delta 8 and some of the big names in cannabis we're working with Delta 8. Remind us who Mishulam is. Just so oh, they... sorry. Dr. Raphael Mishulam discovered THC and discovered the endocannabinoid He's system. the godfather of THC. He's the OG of the OGs. <laughs> exactly. So Raphael Mishulam was working with this molecule. And the reason that they were is that it was it's a little bit more stable to work with in a laboratory than Delta 9 THC or, or THC acid and all these other cannabinoids. So Delta 8 was being used from a medicinal chemist perspective because they were manipulating the molecule and seeing what they could do with it in a lab and change, like they like you do drug discovery, modern pharma work, right? So like trying to find a new drug, they were using Delta 8 as the base molecule and putting appendages on it and trying to see how it interacted with receptors. So this was a laboratory chemical, basically right off the bat. It has been tested in man in the 1970s it seemed okay. There was a trial in kids with cancer. We're trying to use it for nausea, vomiting in like the 80s, I think, or 90s. And, and that study, again, had good outcomes. It was poorly done, like a weak study, but it was done. It was safe. It was tolerated and it, and it seemed to work. So there is some promising, very early results. But remember, the 1970s, 50 years ago, we've come an exceptionally long way. So we're going to need to just start doing some studies now if we want to be like, oh, the science says. So definitely. And then the actual genesis of this question was, you. what's my take? My take is that as a personal mantra is like, I think nature does it right. And there's a reason that nature doesn't produce very much of Delta 8. However, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think if we can make sure that we have a safe product and we can study it to make sure that it's not causing harms because people are already using it, then we could consider it. But what I don't like is this clandestine thing that has happened and, and sort of grown out of this loophole that was created. So why is it in everybody's mouth right now, right? Why are we talking about Delta 8? What's the deal? Well, number one, the, the 2018 Farm Bill that was signed into law by Donald Trump and passed through Congress in 20, end of 2018 changed the game for hemp. Right. It's the reason you can buy hemp at the corner store. It's the reason hemp flour is illegal in most states. And so when that happened, there was also a rush. People went into the game of hemp. There's a bunch of CBD isolate. The cost of CBD isolate from all these hemp growers is way down. So everybody's got all this isolate and they say, what do we do with it? It turns out people don't like CBD isolate very much, but it turns out there's some chemists out there that, that learned about this old process and decided that they could start converting this into Delta 8 THC. And because of the way the law is written in the Hemp Act, it says all hemp-derived cannabinoids are legal. This is technically being derived from CBD isolate, which is hemp-derived. So it's technically legal. Technically, also, though, the DEA has this substance listed on the controlled substance list. It's on the list with heroin, right? And like even and stupidly in the same schedule one category. But it's there. It's clear as day, THC and its congeners. Delta 8's on the list. But because federal law sort of trumps some there's some sort of legal trumping going on. Uh, wrong word choice really. I just mean 
one law taking above the other, that something lawyers have said, these you're, you're safe. Keep making your Delta 8. And producers are saying, well, this is profitable. This is my market. And that's what I want to do. So right now it's it's a gray area. You said that, but Delta 8 is technically on the Schedule 1 list because it is a form of THC. Yes. It, I mean, I think it's called out specifically now in the most recent update, but historically it just said THC derivatives. And I think it goes without saying that Delta 8 THC is a THC derivative. <laughs> yeah. So I can't imagine this is going to last very long. I mean, I understand there's some opportunists out there and, and you know, not to maybe they they have good, genuine motives here and they're not just out to make a quick buck. And But once the federal government becomes aware that this is still THC, it seems to me no matter what the effects, they are going to clamp down. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, right now there's no, okay, you like the legal market, right? You want to know that your product is safe, that it's been tested, it's been et cetera, that it's clean of pesticides, that it's in in Colorado, you know, they're now going to make them start testing products that are inhalable and is the vape cart safe and is the battery doing anything, all that stuff. And then you go over to the CBD hemp side made from CBD isolate was probably made from some trash industrial hemp covered in mold. And then that product is being converted potentially in someone's garage or basement into a Delta 8 product being mixed with impotent solvents like tuline or heptane or hexane, mixing it together and making reactions, turning colors, and then being filtered and remediated to another color. These guys are doing chemical synthesis on the, the your weed, the stuff you're smoking. And then the other thing is, is these, these Delta-8 derivatives. Now, that's not all this way. There are good, high-quality chemists out there doing this the legal way, still within that loophole, but doing it because they do want to cross state lines or they do want to do something. And so like not every product, but this is unregulated. No one's, there are not strict quality controls and testing things going on in the Delta-8 space. Sorry, I'm kind of bouncing all over, but there's no, so much no, to talk I think about. this is fascinating. I mean, we'll keep going. So they're changing it around in their home lab equipment using potent acids and solvents. And then it's being sold without any, you got to be 21 and up to order it in California. 16 year olds can go on Snapchat and order a shit ton of this. And so, like, is that good? I know a lot of people would say, oh, I used cannabis at 16, but like a synthesis one, one that was made in a lab by Joe down the street. So there's a lot of concerns around where this product's coming from, the quality of the product, the testing standards that exist in this space. So it seems to me as a consumer, you should be aware that this is not a regulated, I mean, this is true with all CBD products, but one of the things we always tell our listeners and our readers is that check, is there third party testing on this? You know, check the label, get, do a little bit of research before you put something into your system that don't just assume because you could buy it. It was, it's been vetted by any kind of, so is that the same with the Delta 8 products is how do you know that the Delta 8 gummy that you just bought is something that you should be putting in your body? So let's kick it up a notch. Okay, so the whole lab testing industry, when I came into this space like nine months ago, I was surprised to learn how unestablished the standards, regulations, and sort of just these SOPs and indexes that people should compare. So Delta-8 is an isomer. It's almost, it weighs the same, right? It's got the same carbons and hydrogens and oxygens as regular THC, but it's just slightly different. So you have to have pretty precise tools to be able to identify this. It's also not the only isomer that can be formed in the production of Delta-8, depending on who's doing it at what temperature, in what setting, from what substrate. 
right? The synthesis of Delta eight, other deltas can be formed. You're going to see it. The new, the new talk is Delta 10. You've probably seen it come in whispers about it in the background. So what we're finding is that they can make other isomers in these laboratories, depending on the temps or the acids or whatever they use. And then those are now being sold, marketed, et cetera. In the same, not illicit, gray market channels as before. And so the problem with all the testing, and, and I want to say, yeah, just trust, trust your lab. They don't have specific standards or maybe the right tech to find and identify these other derivatives or these other isomers that could have been formed. So they say, oh, that's, that's something else. It's 65% Delta ATAC. Well, what's the rest? In the experience of the lab owners that I've talked to, it tends to be a little Delta 9, right? So, and which, whatever. And then it tends to be some other molecules that they might not even know. There's a Delta 6A, 10A, THC. There's, a, there's the Delta 10. There's technically a Delta 7. Are these all pretty similar to the Delta 8, these Delta 10, Delta 7? Yeah. And nature doesn't like these forms. The nature doesn't make these forms. They're made in, under heat and pressures and temperatures in a laboratory with other chemicals synthesized from CBD and CBD isolate, which is cheap and readily available and can be converted in a lab to deltas, to the deltas. So what I hear you saying is, yes, lab testing is a good first step, but what we really need is standardized testing across the board hopefully regulated by the federal government or some government agency or somebody that's accountable. And it's the same standard for every product out there. And, and you can't buy it without crossing that standard. For sure. And all these slight variations in, in the chemicals and the molecules, I like kind of like explain it like they're different notches in your key, right? So now all of a sudden nature's only made one key. It's the master key. It's good to go. And now we're changing the notches. Well, remember the locks to those keys are all through your body. They're in your reproductive system. They're in your heart. They're in your eyes. They're everywhere in your body, the CB1 and CB2 receptors. They're integral to your health. You couldn't exist. Life wouldn't exist without the endocannabinoid system. So what happens is those keys might have actions that we don't fully understand. And I know that sounds hyperbolic and really concerned, but there are stories of people using the wrong isomer in like a street drug or an ecstasy or whatever that has bad consequences. They tend to have more adverse effects or have unintended effects at these receptors because the notches in those keys are, are different. And that can have an impact on the way the medication affects your body and the medication being Delta THC. So what I'm also hearing you say, and, and I think it's a, is that if nature doesn't make it, the cannabis plant does so many good things naturally, <laughs> right? It matches with the endocannabinoid 66 system. 66 cannabinoids produced, right? <laughs> so these ones that are made, so if you start hearing about Delta-8 and these unnatural isomers, yeah, it might be best to to sort of be wary, I think, a bit. I don't know. I trust nature a hell of a lot more than I trust that guy making these chemicals in his garage. I do. And I also trust history. We've been using Delta-9 THC for 5,000 years. We've been using Delta-8 for about 5,000 hours, like a, a couple years. <laughs> and that's concerning. Is it Am I here to say there's a crisis? No, but I'm here to say that if we're not careful, we could have another e-valley crisis. If we're not careful, we could have another problem on our hands as the cannabis industry is trying to get its bearings, trying to get its feet on this wobbly ground. And here we are making our own problems. So I just think it's the wrong approach, but I don't necessarily blame entrepreneurs and the people who are selling it because it's the nature of the business right now. And, and 
people are just trying to to eke out that living. I blame the antiquated federal the, government. The, yeah, right? prohibition. Because that, why? This is why? The why would you even have to have a delta eight and a delta ten and a delta seven if del if if THC was just a, re- a legal product that was regulated in the market? You've now hit the nail on the head, John. There's no doubt. This is the ultimate question. So this is what happens when you regulate anything. It people will find ways around it, and it just becomes more dangerous. And look to alcohol in in the prohibition of the 1930s. Right, we saw. Drug cartels, Al Capone's drug cartel rise to power. What do we see during cannabis prohibition and cocaine prohibition? The rise to power of the cartels and of all these organizations that are still raising hell on our border even today. All right. Well, this is absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this, Cody. It's a crazy thing that's happening, man. Yeah, it really is. I'm curious why you jumped. So you were a pediatric pharmacist is your background, right? Still am. And still am, still are, still am. (laughs) But you decided to get into the cannabis space, which, you know, is not a traditional, maybe not as as good of a moneymaker, or maybe maybe it is these days. But what made you jump to the other side or jump to have it not even jump to the other side, but have interest in cannabis? Yeah, really good question. So my first thing is, is that pharmacists have always been touted as the medication experts. 38 states now agree that cannabis is medicine, not the feds, but 38 states agree cannabis is medicine. So I'm looking around in this industry going, why aren't there more of me? Where where are the people who are specifically trained in the way medicines work in the body, the way we control the quality of medicine, the way we test our medicine, the way we batch our medicine, all of it, the way we keep lots and expirations and, and keep track of what happens in medicine. It's all happening the same way or the same tract has been built specially for cannabis. And it doesn't make sense. I already manage all of the substances that are legal, but being considered medicine. So pharmacists are naturally made for this cannabis space. So cannabis is a drug, if that's what you want to say. So I'm, I'm naturally attuned to take care of it. I have a touching story about how I helped a, a relative with, with a cannabis edible back in the 2009 in the nascent industry. Um, and I've helped numerous patients to sort of navigate the cannabis space, either during their end of their life or during a tough, tough battle with cancer. But my MO is this. Look, cannabis is medicine. Medicine or patients deserve access to medicine and access includes access to people like me, access to pharmacists and doctors and nurses who can take in your cannabis use and consider it part of the medical paradigm, part of your therapeutic regimen, and help guide people to the right product or the the right dose or watch out for drug interactions. Putting these two worlds together is sort of my goal in this industry because I strongly believe people could benefit from cannabis as medicine. So let's stop creating a different system where you talk to a a bud tender who doesn't have a formal medication educate about your lisinopril and the side effect you're experiencing from the cannabis you're taking with it. Who is the bud tender to help you? So having people like me and trained individuals are the next phase of really talking about medical cannabis. Because if cannabis is medicine, then you deserve the right to talk to a pharmacist, just like literally every other medicine. Right. I was like, you walk into a CVS and you want to get a drug that is regulated by the federal government. You're not, you don't, the shopkeeper can't sell you Ambien or whatever it is that, you know, you have to talk to a pharmacist. First, you have to have a prescription from a doctor, but you have, you talk to a pharmacist about it. And it seems to me that pharmacists should be in dispensaries, right? I mean, why are they not there? I don't like, you're talking to somebody, generally you walk into a 
dispenser and you can buy anything you want. Basically, an amateur is giving you advice on on it, right? An enthusiastic amateur. Especially in the medical cannabis paradigm, right? So I'm open-minded to the way we can see this industry diverge or bisect, whatever you want to say, right? So if we want to keep recreational cannabis, because we agree that cannabis is a much less harmful substance than other things available on the shelf. I can go into Fry's right now and I can buy a lethal dose of alcohol, pay the man and say, thank you with my two bottles. I'm going to go murder myself, right? Or at least try to try to, right? And if you go to the cannabis dispensary, you have limits. There's like all these like crazy things, even though we know that cannabis is far less harmful. So there's definitely a room for a recreational adult use route and, and states like California, I don't think you'll ever see that go away. But what I'm talking about is medical cannabis. You saw a doctor. They say you should start using cannabis. You say, I don't know how. Okay, great. Start with this person. Go to see Cody. He's going to hook you up. I told him to give you one inhalable and one suppository. You're going to try it. We're going to keep the THC dose pretty low. We're going to focus on our other cannabinoids or cannabinoid acids and all these other miraculous molecules the plant's making, and we're going to figure out what works. If that doesn't work, then we'll tink. We'll give you a little bit more of the THC. Maybe we'll give you some THCA. And when we can actually build, treat this like medicine, because even though physicians want to say, oh, I just write a, I write a prescription, I put a label, and I send it home. It's not the way medicine works. You start on a medicine at a low dose. You titrate to effect. You're looking for a goal. We start taking measurements. How's your happiness scale? How's your pain scale? Is it better today? We need to start treating it like freaking medicine, man. You are so right. From your mouth to my ears. So that's awesome. Cody, how do people find out more information if they want to learn more about you or about, should, is there a website they should go to? Is it, what, tell me a little bit more. I love it. And I've been saying this for too many podcasts. I'm still working on my website. Don't judge me. But I am definitely active on all the socials. So on Instagram, it's Cannabis Farm D. Not too hard to remember. I'm on TikTok. You can catch me on TikTok. It's Canna Farm D. So C A N N A Farm D, P H A R M D. And then I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can just follow my name wherever it is on the screen, Cody Peterson. And that's really where I'm hitting my science content. But I'm trying to lean in on TikTok. So if you were on there, follow me for your cannabis science, cannabis medicine, anything relating to pharmacology. I'm a total nerd. Yeah. And you should have a podcast, but that's another, ah, that's another conversation. You certainly can talk enough for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cody, thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you for your wisdom. Appreciate it. I love it, John. Thanks for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. All right, brother. Bye-bye. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later. <laughs>